This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 27, and this episode features Alyssa May Atkinson, comedian, bar manager, and a friend of mine. I hope your 4th of July celebrations were fun. I hope you had a good time. I hope you celebrated freedom. I'm reflected on that term, freedom. A wise person once said that if some of us aren't free, all of us aren't free. And I truly believe that. That's why I think it's important to fight for freedom and fight for the rights of other people. So... I hope you had good celebrations, and uh, I hope that you carry that ideal with you into the world, because we all need each other. Uh, Me and Alyssa talked about comedy. We talked about politics a little bit. We talked about life and managing bars in NYC. Um, I had a great time catching up with her. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Have a good one. This is Alyssa May Atkinson. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, so how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good. Uh, What's up? What are you up to? Oh, you know, um, living that glamorous bar manager life, doing a bunch of comedy. Just got back from New Orleans. How was that? It was really fun. Um, I learned from my previous trips that I need pool time every day if I'm going in the summer, so that was great. Did a couple comedy shows down there. Just, uh, for the heat, you need pool time every day to like. Oh, just for it. vacation. Yeah. Just because uh, we did it once, and I was like, "Why weren't we here every day?" It's like ten dollars to get in. It was just, it was the thing to do. Is there a particular pool There's you frequent? There's two. Um, the Country Club is one, and that's the one I went to last time I was there. Um, and then there's one called the Driftwood Motel. It's an old motel with a little pool and a bar. Really nice. Which one did you uh, prefer? The Driftwood. Nice. Yeah. It was so like that was a intimate. new discovery this time? Mm-hmm. Nice. And you said you did a couple of uh, comedy shows down there? Yeah. Um, my my co-producer at Midriff Comedy, Han Cowger, is moving down there. So she's got some, or they've got some connections. So um, right before my trip, they put out a blast on Facebook and connected me with a couple producers. And it was really fun. His... I've only ever done comedy in New York, so to experience a new audience was really interesting. Nice. Yeah. How how was it? Um, I think that people down in New Orleans are a lot more laid back, and they're a lot less likely to try to be cool. Like, that's not on their agenda as a community down there, so there's, like, a lot more easy laughter, a lot more people, like, a lot more people showing up just to hang out, and they had free ice cream, <laughs> you know. Those are the main differences, the free ice cream, the yeah, uh, not trying nice. to be cool, easy to laugh. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, and you started doing comedy like during the time we met. And I remember before you talking about it, and then it was cool to see you actually do it. Because, you know, a lot of people talk about things and maybe eventually do it. But a lot of people talk about things and then talk themselves right on out of it you know? Yeah. Well, and I also think, and this is, I I just read about this recently. It's, it's like a, it's a psychological thing where talking about 
an exciting thing or an exciting project gives you the dopamine hit. So you just, you already get that hit and then you're like, oh, I feel great from just talking about this thing I might be doing. And now I don't have to do the thing because yeah. I already got that rush of adrenaline about it. <laughs> yeah. It's tricky. Um, cause I've also heard on the flip side, there's also, it is good to talk about it some because then, um, accountability, accountability. Yeah. Exactly. So finding that balance of talking and doing, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but as long as you're doing, I don't think it matters yeah. whether you talk or not. Like other than, yeah, like, you know, you know, people who talk a big game and then if they don't do so good a certain night, it's, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, like any, in, in any situation like that, um, just cause yeah, like you talked it up and now you have to, now you have to deliver, deal with, yeah. And then deal with whatever or deal happens. with the disappointment of yeah. not doing it. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I do a little bit of both, I would say, but when it comes to, when it comes to comedy now, like I've definitely committed to, now I run two shows a month. Um, I go out and do open mics every week, some, some more weeks than others. Um, when I started doing comedy, I was doing, oh, like five to eight open mics every, every week. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've definitely dialed it back because I have a lot of more, a lot more responsibilities. And I think the fact that I run a couple shows a month takes up enough time. And also it allows me to do the kind of work I would do at open mics but with a real audience instead of just a bunch of comedians in chairs just looking at their notebooks. So yeah. I find that even more helpful. And so I can actually put, put in less time into doing the, the, the mic, the mic hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, uh, New York, well, especially, I mean, just by happenstance, um, being at Pine and being just some of the communities I've been around observing, um, I'm sure it's different in certain areas, but at least where I've been, these open mics, like at Pine and at Precious, there are a lot of comedians and who are constantly like working on stuff uh, to where there are, I'm sure, open mics where you could go to and nobody's really taking it seriously. People are just playing around. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think that's the case so much here. I mean, yeah. I'm sure it happens, but... Oh, totally. I mean, but definitely there's more people. And you hear jokes evolve over time. Like, I'm really inspired by a lot of Bushwick comedians who are on the grind constantly, like, using their two and a half minutes yeah. at the Pine Box open mics three times a week and at the Precious open mics two times a week to just really, like, hone in on a new joke. Because um, you can see how it goes from, like, a kernel of an idea to, like, a to like maybe, oh, oh, now I'm getting to something. And then the third day, it's like, okay, now there's a punchline. The fourth day, it's like, and, and you, sometimes I'll like hear a really good joke at an open mic and be like, that's an awesome joke, it's done. And then like the next week I hear a new iteration of it that's even better. I actually just saw that um, last night at uh, the, the open mic at Precious Metal on Tuesday. Um, uh, Kendall Farrell had a joke that I was like, and I saw him perform it at, shows and thought like that's a great joke it's done and then he had even more to add at yeah. the open mic yesterday I was just like that kind oh. of stuff is constantly inspiring to me I mean a lot of a lot of artists whether they're you know writers or musicians or vis visual artists or comedians like have 
these celebrities that they look up to or, you know, that, that they're inspired by. And I find my peers to be the most inspiring because I get to see, you know, how the sausage is made. You I know? think that's, yeah, that's really important in general. And I think when you get into whatever it is, um, that has to become a key because, when you're looking at celebrities or just people on a level that you're nowhere near, like as far as the platforms that they're on, Mm -hmm. it's easy to look at it and think, Oh, they made it. You know what I mean? Like they, Oh, they made it. But kind of like that joke that you saw that was good before. Um, if they're really good, they're hopefully still constantly working on their craft. Like, and it's all about a process that when, you know, a lot of people, a lot of lay people, when they see people in those positions on those platforms, you look at them and you don't see the work, mm-hmm. the constant work that's still happening, you know? Yeah. And to do it, you have to love the process. You do. And that's probably the most fun for me is the process is playing around. I mean, the way, the way I, my, the way I like write jokes is, is either like, sometimes I'll just, you know, I just get a funny idea and write it down. Sometimes I'll tweet it or put it on Facebook see the response like it'd be like a one-liner or sometimes I'll have a be having a conversation with a good friend or out having drinks and I say something off the cuff that everyone laughs at and then I'm like okay hold on let me write this down and that's just like the first kernel of of the joke and then I try to build on it then I take it to open mics and then it evolves slowly gets better and gets better and and you know the evolution is never finished it always keeps growing and changing. I have jokes that I, that I wrote two and a half years ago that are, st- I'm still adapting and changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you noticed any particular, as you've, you know, how, so how long, when did you start doing it? Um, I started, I did my first open mic, um, a little over two years ago. So I started late. I was like 30, in my uh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, it. You know, the, no. the only thing it matters on is like, yeah, people. Of course, the longer you put in, um, the better. But like, some people some stop. Ways, like, who start early? Um, yeah. It's all. It's all different. Like, it's true, and I think in some ways, well, me personally, I think starting later. Uh, not that I didn't have any ties to comedy before, but uh, starting stand up later um, gave me a little bit of a leg up. In, in for myself in some ways because I I came in with more confidence, with more life experience, um, with more experience in comedy and, and, and enjoying it, enjoying stand-up, um, writing for comedy websites in the past. So, like, I didn't come in, like, completely, you know, clueless as to what was going on, you know? Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, sometimes I'm intimidated by the 22, 23 year olds that are really killing it. And I'm just like, Oh, I'm not like the young, hot, new on the scene person. But in some ways that makes me like work harder and focus more on my personal perspective and just like how individualistic the process can be for each artist and like what they're expressing and how it's important, you know? Yeah. Um, and so in that time, have you noticed, are there any favorite, like, I don't know if you'd call them like breakthroughs, but you know, like some moments, sometimes I think you don't even notice them when they're happening, but then as you're looking back, you kind of realize kind of like kind of places where you feel like 
things elevated like at certain points have you noticed that at all yeah I mean I think just getting on stage the first time um was a breakthrough in itself like just I I you know we I manage precious metal as you know and I was kind of in charge of all the programming and we decided to start with an open mic a comedy open mic because it worked so well at Pine Box and it's so low maintenance it Mm -hmm. just kind of runs itself and the first one we had there, I, you know, and because Pine, uh, Precious Metal has an open room for performances as opposed to Pine Box's kind of separate back room, uh, I was able to kind of be in in the moment, in the room seeing people do this. And I was like, immediately like, oh, I should do that. And then I just did it. And, you know, after like writing some jokes for a week, I was like, I can prepare myself to do this next week. And then just getting on stage and realizing that I had the confidence to be on stage. And of course, there's awkwardness and nervousness, but just getting like bitten by that bug like immediately was a huge breakthrough. Yeah. Because it's so intimidating, the idea of doing stand-up. I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I admire it to the highest degree. Um, I've actually stood up once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it didn't go bad. I just... It's one of those things that one time is one thing, but I think the second time is another. Um, yeah. And for me, I there is a part of me that wants to, and there's a part of me, I think, like, you were talking about coming in later. Like, I don't realize it, but there's a part of me that, like, I haven't done the stand-up thing, but I study, con- like, I just admire it. So mm-hmm. I've been studying it for a long time. Um, yeah. And... I don't know. I I think it's like acting, singing, um, these performing things. I feel like stand up is the most vulnerable of them because it is immediate. (laughs) Like if you bomb, it's no, it's not a question. Like if you can't, if you're not making people laugh or if it's really turning ugly, it's an immediate thing versus like if you're singing or if you don't, play a part like a certain way it's kind of subjective uh-huh. like there could be like different interpretations of what you might think is a bad performance as a singer or an actor versus yeah comedy it's like it seems if, like if you it's know it's not going well you'll know <laughs> you know and everybody knows yeah, <laughs> yeah. And everyone and then the temperature of the room changes mm-hmm. but I mean I think I think also bombing isn't it, it's it's a rite of passage. It's yeah. something that happens, and and for me, I've never totally bombed on a show. Yeah, I definitely totally bombed on an open mic, but that the stakes are different. So, um, but bombing, it's about how you recover. So like, yeah. I've definitely like bombed the beginning of a set and then found a way back in, and in some ways, like I found that to be more of an achievement than the times that I just like slayed the whole. It definitely show. puts you right in the moment, right? Yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, talk about vulnerability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to kind of come back from that and, you know, I think it, it's helpful to be a little self-deprecating because it kind of like yeah. humanizes the moment because I think people, and the thing that's difficult about comedy compared to um, music or any kind of other live performance is that uh, people aren't necessarily on your side. Mm-hmm. People, people come in skeptical. Yeah. To a comedy show. People, when they, I mean, and even like Oliver Bushwick, we have so many free bar shows that are super fun. Um, the quality of talent is really, really high. Um, and 
and you can see in audiences' faces when they come in for the show, they're like, prove it, prove you're funny, prove you're talented. Like, you don't get that when you, when you go see live music. Like, people yeah. aren't sitting there like, I dare you entertain me. I'm going to come in and I'm going to try not to enjoy this. But that is a little bit of, of how audiences for, comp, for stand-up, like, they're just like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, kind of um, having having a, a somewhat um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like a negative feel in the room at a comedy show, or like is is not super uncommon. Yeah. And have kind of a hostile crowd is not uncommon. And then it's it interesting the way different comics deal with that and like listening to interviews with like comics who've gone through it who at one point were famously combative mm. with audiences and not funny like at that those times you know sometimes yeah. some of them are um that's one thing that's one thing i i will never ever do is turn hostile on an audience because you know what that's part of the gig you know you're walking in to and and to maybe a hostile situation or not hostile necessarily, but like a skeptical audience. And it's your job to be funny. It's your job to give them, to give them like that, that respite from their day or from their week or from, from their job, from their family and, and have them like enjoy the moment. And if you can't do that, that's your fault. You know what I mean? Like, and I will take that. I will take that, you know, I will take that beating. Um, and it helps you grow and it helps you get better as an artist and to, to like, I just don't really have the kind of ego that some people have, um, that just automatically wants to blame an audience for a bad experience or bad, a bad show or a bad performance. I'm just like, okay, I can turn this around. And those are the moments that I feel like I've actually been really able to learn and grow and figure out, um, how to move forward and get better. Yeah. Um, have you dealt with like hecklers at all or like, um, had any back and forth with audience members? Definitely. Um, and nothing like really, no one's ever been really nasty to me. I think, and, and I, I like to try to put myself in their shoes. Um, cause a lot of them are at bars. People are at varying levels of, of, uh, intoxication. And I think when, when, audience members heckle, it's not necessarily coming from a mean place. A lot of times it's just, they want to participate. They want to have, they want, they need attention or they need, they want to be a part of the show. And so like what I've, what I've experienced is basically people where I'm just like, dude, it's not your time to talk. Yeah. It's my time to talk. Yeah. And you're kind of, you're, you're, you're messing up this experience for everyone else in the room. Cause I'm here to tell jokes and I don't really do crowd work. So uh, there's a lot of comedians that do that and are good at it. And I, I'm, I'm blown away by the level because it's, it's a lot of improvisation and you're opening yourself up to. Yeah. Like to, sometimes like, they land a good one. Yeah. <laughs> like, sometimes it's not funny. Sometimes <laughs> it gets nasty, but um, I don't really do that. I don't like putting people on the spot. They're there to enjoy themselves. And, um, but I do, have had a couple hecklers that just like, just, they just wanted to be a part of it. So I would like, you know, let them talk for a minute and then find a way to shut it down and just 
continue and keep the ball rolling with my set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, well, let's talk about how you approach, um, your, how do you, yeah. How do you approach your writing? Um, so, um, a lot of it, a lot of it, it comes from, from my personal experience, from my life experience. Uh, I, I focus on a lot of, you know, dating experiences, uh, um, just like walking through, walking through the world as a woman is 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 a big point of view for me, obviously. Um, and I I would beat myself up a little bit at, for a while because I was just like I should just try to be more like a male comic that that does like observational humor that's not overly sexual or um, fe- too feminist or too focused on a female experience and too kind of narrow. And then I was then after a while I realized you know what, the, the thing that's, the thing that's funny that I can come up with isn't necessarily a universal experience. It's, it's my own personal experience and expression. And a lot of it is that's, I can't like come up with a funny joke about, you know, Oh, look at that pigeon, whatever. I mean, whatever, like the observational stuff of like, well, and Hey it, guys, hamburgers these days. And know? that <laughs> does have to do with, um, what their perspective is, Yeah, you know, like if they're not thinking about themselves as men, which most of the time we're not Cause necessarily. Cause you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's why, you know, that's a thing that's different with like a lot of black comics is there's a, there's another, you know, you might be a male, but you do go through the world thinking about certain things that come with having black and skin. It's you know? yeah, yeah. And it's important. Yeah. And it's important And it informs what that. you're thinking about. You exactly. Know, what's interesting to you. You know? Like, good, yeah. good for you if you... Like, if the interesting... If, if your perspective is so that just kind of the mundane things, you know, you find the interest kind of in those. Jerry Seinfeld style... Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, I mean, of course there's going to be a little of that too, but I feel like overwhelmingly a lot of my comedy is what it's like to be a woman in 2018. And I also feel like being specific, like people being specific about their experiences, um, their perspective, actually like one of the things is that there is a universal in those things. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what it's like to be an outsider at some point. Yeah. You know, everybody can relate to those things. And the way people can relate to them, a lot of times, like one of the best ways is through comedy because you can explain things through jokes and metaphors and stories in a way that people might not have thought of it before from exactly. that perspective. Well, and that's what a lot of comedy is, is it's, it's, uh, it's like a magic trick. It's, it's a surprise. It's, it's a new way. It's, it's a way of looking at something in that, that you never thought to look at something. And, and I think it's a way to connect with different kinds of people that you didn't understand previously. Um, I think a good stand up will kind of open people's eyes to a different experience and to have more empathy while, you know, with the, with the lightness of laughter, you know, instead of, instead of somebody getting up and nobody likes to be lectured and nobody likes to be told, um, you don't, you, your privilege gets in your way and blah, 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 blah. But when a black comic gets up in a room full, like 
with a totally white audience and talks about the black experience in a way that's hilarious, but it's also, there's like a hidden message in there that's like, hey, look at me, I'm a human being. And also, you're laughing because you know this is true. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, like people laugh and, when it and, yeah. strikes a chord. You know, Totally, it's like, and when it's re- relatable. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a totally different experience, there's little, there's little tiny parts of it that everyone can relate to and understand. And to see, to see like, like something like, you know, racism as... Uh, through that lens of, of, you know, this is a hilarious joke and you felt this way too, but just for a different reason at a different time with a different set of variables. And it's, I think it's a good way for people to connect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, managing the bar, doing comedy, uh, what are you kind of interested in? Like, are you thinking out like kind of you know sometimes people talk about a five-year plan I don't really I think that's good on the one hand but Mm -hmm. sometimes kind of focusing specifically on what you want to get better at right now or like immediate goals kind of helps um to clarify like a more long-term thing yeah but it sometimes the long-term thing well actually I think all the times the long-term thing really depends on where you focus your energy right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, it is good to kind of have some idea of where you're going. Um, where do you want to go? Like, where do you see yourself going? And So I have a lot of goals. Yeah. Um, one of my main goals is to open up my own bar and venue. And I'd love to, you know, be, be a place where where there can be a lot of different kinds of performing, performing arts, you know, mainly focused on comedy because that's my thing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been working in, in the bar industry for a really long time. I started when I was 20, so I've been doing it 15 years. Um, I, I take pride in my work as a bartender and as someone who runs a bar. I've been a part of Precious Metal since before it opened. I did a lot of, a lot of work in there uh, to, to develop the aesthetic of the place um, design like manual, like artisanal work on, um, you know, obviously I created all the cocktail menus, making cocktails is something that I'm passionate about. I did, uh, I was voted the best bartender in New York city in 2014. I remember my village voice. (laughs) Um, yeah, I've been featured in Marie Claire as, you know, women as choosing bartending as a professional career. Um, yeah, it's not something that I like, you know, that I think is a side gig or a, or my, my, my day job or whatever, aside from comedy. I, I mean, I think personally, um, working in the bar atmosphere is some of my, like that there's a lot of my creativity goes into that. A lot of my social energy, the way I speak to people, I think comedy and bartending, like they're, they're, they're kind of equal parts of, of who I am and how I express myself. Um, and so ultimately, I want to keep both in my life, you know, and I'd like to own a bar that has a performance space. And I want to be consistently like, you know, creating new cocktails, creating new performances, cre- you know, and like having them kind of live alongside each other to give myself that balance that I need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in comedy, I mean, there's so much that I want to do. I, I, I really like to go on tour. I want to... 
Um, Lauren Vino, who's my, who's my, she's, she and I started midriff comedy together and she's actually going back to your question about, about big breakthroughs. Like that was my, probably my second major breakthrough in comedy was, um, you know, she's been doing it for like over 10 years and to have her approach me and, and tell me she thought I was funny and that she wanted to work with me was just like mind blowing and the comp, like the kind of like confidence that I needed to, to, to keep going in the moment. Um, and so when we started our show, that was like a really major thing. And she and I would like, we, we currently have a show every, the first Friday of every month at Precious Metal at 8.30. And then we have a second location in Williamsburg at the 20 um, that we do a show the second Wednesday of every month at 8.30. Um, we'd like to add more. Our idea for Midriff is to like expand to different neighborhoods outside of Bushwick and Williamsburg and just kind of like get that broader audience, get different comics that aren't just, I mean, I love my community of Bushwick comics and my community of Bushwick bar people. Um, but you know, just kind of get the name out there and just keep growing and not like hold ourselves back, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the next those, uh, steps with comedy is like, building like growing our show and then also going on tour um and eventually like like every like every comic dreams of getting big and making it and like being on conan or being on colbert or you know a lot of uh, a lot of achievements that some of my peers are 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 achieving yeah currently so i mean it's it's not it's not something like totally out of my reach so i mean having those kind of goals are important. Didn't you, didn't you tell me at one point you were thinking about doing some podcasting also? Oh yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I've had a couple of different ideas and a couple of different, that's another thing where, um, uh, yeah, I've talked a lot about, about it with Lauren or with some other comedians and we talk a big game and then get excited and then it doesn't come together quite yet. Cause we're just like, we did it. We had that conversation. Yeah. We feel great. Um, so, it's a tricky one. Yeah. Um, it like it took me a year, and during that year, it was like one of those things where I would like if you caught me at a certain moment, I would talk about it because it was like in my head. Mm-hmm. It was like an obsession, um, but I I didn't want to talk about it until I was. Sh- the thing with me was I didn't want to talk about it until I was sure I was ready, willing, and able to commit to yeah. doing it regularly, and that's. And just whether or not I really wanted to do that. And you already have 20-something episodes. So yeah. You, you did that. Yeah. You committed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but then, like, towards the end, it was like, all right, now I have to talk about it as I, like, I gave myself a deadline. Uh-huh. And it was like I, <laughs> the final deadline, I kind of kept giving, like, oh, next month. And then final, the deadline was, like, two weeks away. And I was like, all right, two get, weeks from now, like, on this day, I'm going to really, like, I have to launch. Yeah. And then everything accelerates, you know? Yeah. And I think I make excuses for myself, like not, not having the right equipment or not knowing the proper channels to go through to like actually get it done. But I mean, that takes very little research. I'm, I could figure it out. I'm a smart girl. Yeah. I mean, I've learned a lot just like running precious metal, like, oh, now I could, I can do sound. It's amazing. I'm, I, I'm how... like a sound engineer now. I'm a, I can, I can do some like 
low key, like plumbing work and electricity work. And it's like, I'm sure I could figure it out. I'm a, I'm a good troubleshooter, you know? Yeah. And it's amazing how much we can do. Like, you know what I mean? You don't know you can do things until you try and do them. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are, and that's what YouTube tutorials are for too. Yeah. And then there are certain (laughs) things where, you know, you have to figure out where, what's worth it for you to like, there are some things that you are not going to want to or enjoy doing at all. Yeah. And those things, maybe that's where you like outsource to somebody else. Like, and it's worth it if somebody else is good at it and will enjoy it and it'll save you misery. And that's where it's like, worth we only it. have a certain amount of, you know, hours, minutes in the day. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly like just budgeting out my time of like, okay, I, I have to do this on this day. I have to do this on this day. And like, maybe it's, it's not worth, you know, killing seven hours editing something Yeah. when I could get somebody who's better at doing it, do it for me. And you know, it's, it's all about prioritizing what is going to be worth your time yeah. and, and, and how to like get the most done in a way that you're still enjoying life. And you're giving yourself, you know, the, the, the care that you need and the, the downtime that you need. And just like, yeah, I don't believe in working so hard that you don't have a quality of life. I mean, what, what's that good for, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, like that's an interesting, um, I just, I wasn't looking for it, but a friend of mine just became a GM at a place and asked me to like bartend a night there and First they asked me and I was uh, not sure. Like I was like, yeah, maybe, but like I have things, like I have things in my schedule that I'm not going to like give up. Yeah. Um, And I need my days free to like potentially audition and like have meetings and stuff like that. That's my priority now. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this night, the, the one night that I could possibly work did end up coming up. And so then they came back and it's like, yeah, okay. Um, but it's really interesting starting at a job with a mindset of like, I'm going to do my best. Um, and I will do my first, I will do my best there and I'll do my job well. However, like I know what my priority, my priorities are right now in life and like working right now is like, yeah, I'll do this so that I can fund other things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. And if I, if, if it exhausts me too much to where I don't have the energy to do those, then I'll have There's to cut no something point. out. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's something that I've been, I've, I've always struggled with in, in my life. And especially when it's like, um, like work life, balance, work life balance. And also, I mean, I just, I, I have a ton of pride in everything that I do mm-hmm. for work. I mean, I, I think I was kind of raised with, this, which I'm super happy about and proud of raised, raised to, to know, to have respect for everybody's job, no matter what it is, have respect for work. And I mean, I had a lot of pride in my job when I worked at Boston market when I was 19, but I mean like, and it makes you feel good about yourself when you have that pride and that work ethic. But I think the tough thing for me is self-advocacy. And it's like, if people, when, when, you know, my bosses are asking me to work extra or my co- my, my employees or my coworkers are asking to cover. And I, like, I feel like I always have to say yes. And sometimes saying no is 
okay. I learned and it's some... the better thing to do when you just can't yeah. keep saying yes to everybody. And then, and then, you know, you have to fight for yourself and you, and it's hard to remember that for me because I'm just always, it's, it, it's, it's a tricky thing, but I, I have to like think about, think of the big picture of what I want in my life. And, and if, and if doing all these favors for people is actually propelling me forward or holding me back. Yeah, I learned some major lessons in self-advocacy over the last couple of years. Um, And then, yeah, where I'm at now also is like when you do know, like when you are advocating for yourself and kind of being true to yourself for lack of a better, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't have a less cliche way of putting it. (laughs) Um, There have been times where I've been in a situation and where somebody um where i felt maybe disrespected in the moment and like i'm like all right <sighs> like breathe one and then it's like i can either pick a fight with this per- like i can either call this person out and call the situation out which on the one hand might be the right thing to do in general i think it's always the right thing to do in general mm-hmm. however in professional settings you have to weigh the pros and cons and like what's it actually going to be worth. Yeah. Um, what what if, the end result of, yeah. of this action is going to be. Because also you can just kind of not take it personally, let like things roll off of you. Like you have to let certain things roll off mm-hmm. of you a little bit. Um, and also you can kind of know to yourself that person was being unprofessional. Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, I don't have to necessarily... Call them out to their level, yeah, or or you know, get aggressive or whatever. And there's a line there, like you know, because because when you know, you gotta stand up for yourself at a certain point, yeah. But for me, it's been good to kind of like just pause Mm -hmm. and then note it to myself. And if it goes any further, I'm gonna like, you know, I'm gonna put the brakes on. (laughs) But like, yeah, but to pause and like just no, because. Yeah, I, I mean, the consequence is you end up in a bigger argument and totally. it becomes a bigger thing than it than it is, so. Yeah, and for me in, in bar life and in comedy, like, I do want to help people and I do want to be that role. Uh, and and it's, it's really hard for me to discern between, um, like, is this who I am and is this what I am doing and what I want to do or am I being taken advantage of? Because, you know... There, there is that where I feel like I'm doing, I'm putting in more work. I'm, I'm, you know, sticking my neck out a lot more. I'm saying, oh, I got it. No problem. And, and, you know, my, my passion in, 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 in the things that I do are a driving force and also wanting to be that person that people can come to is a driving force. But how much of that is me and how much of that is, um, uh, you know, just, just the way that I've, I've kind of like learned to walk through life and, and how much, how many people are taking advantage of that and, and how many sticky situations and bad precedents am I setting by continually being that yes person and that I got it and I'll help you. And, you know, like, oh, I know you're having a hard time, even though I have hard times, you know, and you know, it's, it's, it's something that I've been working on really hard specifically this year. It was like my new year's resolution to be like, Alyssa, like separate what, you know, what your wants and needs and what your goals are from the bigger picture of everybody's wants and needs. Everyone's wants and needs and everybody's problems and situations 
aren't your problems and situations. Mm-hmm. And like, they, I have to learn how to be a little bit selfish and not think of that as a negative thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> life lessons. Um, <laughs> speaking of life lessons, uh, do you have any, it's always a weird question, but advice, I think it's a good one though for you. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any advice, uh, to somebody who was interested in getting into stand-up comedy specifically? Yeah. Um, my only advice for somebody getting into stand-up comedy is to do it and to, and to do it with all you've got. And if it's not fun and if it's something that gives you a lot of stress and anxiety and you don't have to do it. Like, I think a lot of people like you, it's, it's okay to try something out, but, but, but do fully try it. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to do it when it's something like stand up. I mean, there's a lot of like with music, with, with a lot of different other kinds of expression artistically, like there's a lot, there's a lot of things in between you as a person and your art. And even though your, your art comes out of you, there's, there's a lot of other kind of aspects, whether it's other people performing with you, if you're an actor or other people's words or, you know, playing a role or, you know, your instrument and learning your instrument. If you're a musician, um, with comedy, it's just all you. So, you know, it's Which is very, one of the most appealing and terrifying things about it's it. Very but I think vulnerable, it's very vulnerable, but it's also, you can just get up and start you can anywhere, just, anywhere, anytime. Yeah. So my, my advice for somebody that really wants to get into stand up is just fucking do it. Just get out there. If you're, if whatever major, if you're in any major city, there's plenty of open mics, get up, try some stuff out, really work on it, really try, really challenge yourself. And the other advice I would have is if it makes you miserable, quit. <laughs> a lot of people feel, and especially in New York, I mean, especially in New York, when you start stand up, I mean, I think that like, that there's a lot of comics that you feel like you're like, oh, well, I have to keep doing this, even though it makes me miserable because people are going to judge me for quitting. But it's like, it's your life. It's not their life. So, you know, you got to do what feels right for you. But I, it can be super rewarding um, and that's why you just have to try it and do it. And if it's for me, it was like the minute that I got on stage the first time and did my whatever, three minutes <laughs> at Precious Metal, I was like hungry for it. I was like, this is, this is what I got to do. And it, and it filled a void in me that I didn't know I had. And it gave me a drive to connect with people and, you know, better myself and be more creative. And it, and it helped me write every day that I, you know, I come from a writing background. That's what I went to college for. And I hadn't been writing. And, you know, comedy forced me, stand-up forced me to write every day and love writing every day and not, you know, think of it as a chore. And so it kind of, like, opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah. Um, did you see the Gary Shandling documentary? I did, yeah. That one super inspired me. Um him also coming from an engineering thing. Mm. Obviously like there was the childhood, um, entertainment and love of comedy. Mm. Um, but then going to college for engineering, uh, I can't remember if he switched to writing, but he ended up dropping out of college and becoming a writer in, in LA, um, and doing the comedy writing thing. Um, you know, he moved there at a good time. Some of that's, but it's like being there, you know, going and following your soul. Um, and then, at a certain point having a good job as a writer, but realizing he wanted to explore more as a comedian. Um, and 
quitting his writing job and like dedicating himself fully to like the craft of standup, which he, he had to work on. He had to learn how to perform. He wasn't, mm-hmm. it what didn't come easy necessarily, but yeah, it's something like, I think one of the clues to anything you do is yeah. Like it, you, it shouldn't make you miserable. Um, it shouldn't give you anxiety and stress. It should open you up. If it closes you off, it's the wrong thing for you. Yeah. If it opens you up and, and, and opens your eyes to things, then, you know, grab it and go with it. But if, if it's the opposite, you know, like it's fine. Try something else. Yeah. It's it, life is short. You know, um, my favorite, speaking of Gary Shandling, my favorite comedians started as writers. I just, I think like for me, the genius is in the writing. Yeah. And maybe that's cause I have a writing background. Um, I also have a performing background, um, but not as much as my writing background. And that's kind of what I'm most proud of. Um, I think, you know, I mean, everybody has different styles, but I really appreciate someone who's really honed their craft of, of, you know, how to, how to, how to deliver that surprise, that different way of thinking and looking at something and to, to, to really like shock people into laughter that they can't control. Like that's, that's like, and it's in the cleverness of words. I just started uh, writing a new piece I'm really excited about. Um, and it is a, it is something that I'm writing for myself because of my look and everything. I feel like as an actor, it's just important. Like it's, I, I because I can write, um, I think it's important to write my own stuff so that I'm not completely at the mercy of fate and casting directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've brought it into the theater company that I, that I've become a part of and I haven't read it yet. I've had other people read it and the most, so you just let it pour out of you basically. Um, well I've, yeah, like I've just been like, I gave myself a deadline. I had, I brought in old stuff at a certain point because I wasn't writing. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I kind of had the idea finally for what I wanted to write the story about. And I was like, all right, before the Sunday workshop, I'm going to write 10 pages. And I did, you know, I got to five and I was like, what am I going to write about, you know, for another five? I don't know if, but I'm like, nope, I said 10, wrote it, brought it in. And one of the most satisfying things of having, and it was other people reading the parts was, um, that it got a lot of laughs Mm. and I, I write in a way like I do write kind of with the comedic mind. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but I I don't really write punchlines. It's like situational. There are kind of punchlines, but they're not in a way that like, it's not like, "Uh aha, gotcha. Yeah. Like if people don't laugh, the story will still work. But when people do laugh, it feels really like as a, you know, the feeling you feel really, it feels really good. Yeah. (laughs) Like, well, I think a laugh is, I, I mean, I connect laughter with making someone happy or giving mm-hmm. them, uh, you know, and it's, it's a release of endorphins to be able to laugh. And, uh, you know, I think it makes you feel good when you make other people feel good or, and, and when people laugh and get your sense of humor, it gives you a connection with them and you're like, Oh, I am relating. I, we are human together and not to get sappy about it. But I think, I think your voice isn't necessarily like, like typical, comedic I think you're kind of like you're just really connective and real yeah and um and you're funny but it's not necessarily like in that like 
you know, wordsmith gotcha no. way. It's like a little more organic and like raw. Yeah. It comes like from the, a, real pla- a real place. Like obviously the podcast and everything and I came to him late, but like Mark Marin is like, I look at that dude and like, it wouldn't be like it wouldn't be it would have to be my own style but if i were to try stand up it would be along those like it's not conventional more storytelling yeah uh, like definitely like personal experience based and just like getting down to the nitty gritty of 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 the human experience i think is yeah and sometimes how bizarre it is and sometimes how cliche it is and all that i mean it's it's you got to laugh at and life. i would have to try out some Richard Pryor like imitation, like just as oh a rite God. of passage. Just I love. I I wish, and I maybe I should just work on this. Like to like I'm I'm so in awe of people that can do impressions, and and like I said, I'm more from a writing background. I'm not. I I would have to do some kind of clever interpretation. You could do it, but I think I they all it. are. Like that's the thing with that's imitations. When, when they're good, it's like it's like there's some kind of twist. Yeah, it's an interpretation. Yeah. Like I think it's usually like you zero in on one. Th- like it's one thing. Yeah. That um, this is, I think a lot of people do this. Some people are just fucking turn into people yeah and that's that's incredible yeah in itself but like but i think like it's a lot of people find one thing and like nail that one thing and And it's enough of a reminder of that person or the essence of that person but the people that can like is like actually like do it all like in but then and you're like that's a cool trick but you what are you saying and i think it's like in how they express that person through words that makes it funny um although they're (laughs) Whenever I think of impressions, I think of, you know, Owen Straw, my friend, a comedian, Owen Straw. He does this thing where he just goes through a whole list of different celebrities, but he he does impressions of them as a hungry cat. (laughs) That's pretty funny. And it's great. And then, you know, I don't want to ruin the the punchline. You guys got to go see Owen Straw. He's hilarious. He's one of my favorite comics in the city. Nice. Underappreciated. Shout out to Owen Straw. Underappreciated guy. Um... He should be famous. <laughs> if if for nothing else than his impressions of uh, celebrities as hungry cats. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, is there anything else you want to talk about now? Mm, right now. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I feel like... Uh, Comedy is really stand up specifically is having a really big resurgence lately. Yeah, I think largely because of you know the new platforms that specials are airing on Netflix. Um, HBO is now like kind of I feel like took a break from putting a lot of stand up on there for for you know since since they started doing it in the in the eighties nineties nineties probably both probably both they've been. Um, HBO's been doing their thing. Like, I think they've gotten yeah. better at better at their thing, but yeah. they've been doing it for forever. Like, I feel like that's... And I feel like they've expanded it now yeah. where it's not just, like, uh, like super famous comedians doing their hour specials every year. They have, like, some up-and-coming half hours. Of course, now we have Comedy Central doing all sorts of different stand-up specials with all sorts of, like, varying levels of, you know, comedians, whether they're super famous or just up and coming. Um, but yeah, I think I, in, in live shows, there's so many live shows everywhere now and so many fans of different, um, 
like it's not just like oh we have to go see you know um kevin hart uh, yeah at, at at yeah at some big stadium it's like people are people are going out and enjoying live comedy in in small venues and everywhere it's, it's almost like i think like you know not trying to well no I'll, I'll say it like this do it it's almost i think there are people like in general like i would say if you like if you're somebody who's going to go see kevin hart i'm going to guess probably you might be like a deep comedy like you might be a huge comedy fan in general but i would probably guess you're like a little bit you're more of a kevin hart fan you know what i mean than a comedy like fan. you're not watching comedy specials every week or every day mm-hmm. you know what i mean so you know you're not coming at it to it like that like whereas like if you are watching comedy specials regularly um if you're seeing live comedy from time to time um like that level of a fan with netflix and with all of these platforms um i think an audience like it's also built a larger audience um than ever before and like a younger audience also and then um like for me like cuz it's not to like say kevin hart's not good but <laughs> He, like, so Chappelle, he did the residency at Madison Square Garden. Um, I didn't get to see him there. I'm so glad that I got to see him in Amsterdam a couple years ago. And then that morning, I did not know I was going to see Dave Chappelle. And that was... Oh, that's amazing. And most Def came out later. Like, it was great. Um, But one of them... They spoke in Dutch, right? Just uh, kidding. No. But that was a very... Like, I was super fascinated to see how he goes over obviously everybody in Amsterdam speaks English mm-hmm. anyway, but like, um, to see, cause he's so relevant. Like the stuff he talks about is so relevant and so struck such a chord with American audiences, um, that I was curious to see like the subject matter he would talk about and how it would play. And oh, it, yeah. it landed perfectly well. Like, of course. Dude's a master. But, um, this summer, uh, some of my friends uh, from Ed's uh, saw Chappelle, and one of them saw a night where I'm trying to remember. Oh, no, I remember who the four are. So on this bill was Chris Rock. What? Amy Schumer. What? Kevin Hart and Dave Chappelle. Holy shit. So. And, and, and was that like. Was that given out to the public, or did you just? I think um, the, the way I understand of, it, you might have known once you, but you booked your tickets, and I don't know if you found out who was on your night. I think you might have been able to find out who was on your night, but I think you didn't know the extent of it. So like it might say like Chris Rock is there, and then it's like, oh, by the way, also Kevin Hart. By the way, also Amy Schumer. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was he pulls that kind of thing, um, but for great ones like Kevin Hart and Amy Schumer are both newer like the younger generation mm-hmm. and Chris Rock is even a little bit older than uh Dave Chappelle. Chappelle yeah um so a veteran like true veteran you know um but my friend said that actually Kevin Hart that night that's where you want to see Kevin Hart because it's not his huge special so he's because his specials are they're more he's Fine selling tuned. it to a to a broader audience and and he's also yeah it's more of his mainstream kind of stuff it's like he so, has to be careful to be on yeah. brand quote unquote 
But so, when he's performing mm-hmm. on someone else's show, the real shit comes yes, out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I love that. I heard he killed it and, you know, everybody killed it. And then <laughs> Dave Chappelle walks and he's like, you know, congratulates them. He's like, yeah, you know, great, right? And he's like, but I'm motherfucking Dave Chappelle. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just paused, you know, and of course it's just sort of that guy to me stuff is right now is the he's at the top of the mountain and to me also Richard Pryor is like my all-time favorite and to me right now if Dave Chappelle keeps doing what he's been doing like the argument like he he's right there it's like a LeBron James Michael Jordan he's hasn't quite done all the all the things Richard Pryor's done yet Mm -hmm. but he's reached a like one of those upper levels of, of mastery. Totally. And you know, and I think stand up has always been popular to a certain extent, but right now there's yeah. just like a huge boom. And, and, and again, of like, like my, my peers are doing awesome shows and getting on comedy central doing their half hours or net getting on Netflix and like just seeing, seeing that there, that there is a venue and that there is an audience for people that aren't like Chappelle or, Amy Schumer, like, like that there, like there are audiences that are coming out to see live comedy and and it's really inspiring and it's really exciting that, that that's happening right now. And that like, you know, it's, and I think it's part of, it's, it's what's going on in our culture right now that people, and maybe it's a subconscious thing. Maybe it's a conscious thing that people are like, you know how I want to be entertained. I want to fucking laugh today. And I also want to like, and I also want to get these, these comedian's perspective on what the fuck is going on with our world right now. I also think um, much in the same way that hip hop and rappers like in the nineties and and through now, like still, um, but really hip hop is one genre of music where the artist really took advantage of and understood and like the business aspect, the business potential that they could have as individual artists Mm -hmm. and brands. Um, I feel like, now like in the whatever we call this decade um comedians have really taken advantage of um the newer technology and the new platforms oh yeah particularly like podcasting um you know joe rogan and uh mark Marin come to mind of like early people who they didn't even know they had no idea what it was going to be um but since they did it, I know a lot of comedians have podcasts. Oh, yeah. And it's all about reaching a broader audience. It's yeah. about, and it's like, and there's different ways. It's like, sure. Yeah. You can like get, get more opportunities, make more money. I mean, that's something we just need. Absolutely. We, you know, and to be able to like do that without all the fucking side hustles, dog walking, bartending yeah. for some people, waiting tables, whatever it is. Now, don't you love that commercial? There's a commercial. I forget what the commercial is for, but it's some girl and she's like, dog walking and um, she's a barista she's a dog walker she's so cool and it's like like hashtag hustle like it's like some kind of glamorous city life thing it's like no that's not fucking glamorous it's that our 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 economy is tanked and no one can and you know like the one percent is is just like greedily holding all their money and, and and our entire generation is trying to make ends meet that's not cute speaking on that did you see that the um Young woman, she's like 28, just... Yes, uh, I just read that this morning all over Twitter. It's amazing. Yeah, I think there's there's about to be a big shift, I think. And I think comedy is part of it. I think, like, you know, 
I think so too. And I think, um, young I was people thinking about it. are fucking fed up. We're fed up. I mean, when I say young people, I mean us too in our mid to late thirties. We're, we're part of that. Um, I mean, we're just sick of the status quo and well, yeah, I mean, we have and these it's getting, old, cause it's getting worse and worse and worse and it's becoming more and more blatant mm-hmm. in our, like in, because of probably, you know, technology advancing so quickly. Like we have an eye on, on what the, what the hell is going on? Like it used to, we used to be blinded to it. Now we're not, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about it too. Cause there've been a lot of talks on whether or not this blue wave is coming, mm. but I was thinking about it cause I, that like the blue wave thing personally doesn't really excite me. Yeah. What happened last night and today that excites me um, because it's be it Democrat or Republican. I want a wave of get corrupt politicians who are not representing their constituency yeah. out. Get them out. Like they don't, don't represent us. They're not about us. They don't care about us. It's obvious. Get them the fuck out. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And I think like true progressives need to take back the Democratic Party or some party and 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 get up and like make some changes. Yeah. I think we're ready for but it. But I also like the idea of especially in like smaller but in general like m- making it viable for I'm like I I don't think the two party system is going to end tomorrow. No. no. But I do want to see more independent or other party candidates running. So I do like that she she's like a democratic socialist, like ran Alexandria, as that just like um, Yeah. I can't remember. I, I don't remember her name off the Yeah. But I mean I'm yeah. gonna know it. I'm gonna know it. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I'll say it in the I'll say it at the end of you know in the outro. I'll yes. get it right. Um no yeah because this just happened. Like yeah. this just I mean we, there was voting yesterday. So mm-hmm. did you vote? I did not, you know, you know and that, but that's another vote. thing. You know why you I didn't vote either. And you know why? It's because there was no contest in my district. And so I, I was like, I'm going to go vote. And I looked up where to vote. And it was like, there's no voting in your district yeah. today. And so. also, um, I read about, I think it was the guy that she beat actually split. So there's two different primaries. And that's like partially to not get people to get people not to vote. Yeah. But it backfired on him because a lot of people didn't come and out he's to vote, like period. an establishment democrat yeah. but but that's the problem stop suppressing people mm-hmm. like i don't like how you win is important yeah so when you're doing things to suppress the vote so that you maintain your seat that is not okay that's cheating because it's cheating and it's also it the same thing that illegal. happened yeah the same thing that happened in the primaries it's like no matter where you fall how you win matters yeah like how you win things matter and like if there's any form of voter suppression from anybody, it's bad. Yeah. Because what happens is not enough people come out and vote. I don't like the guy who's in the, the White voice. House right now. Um, yeah. And I don't like that, but I really don't like that less than half of the U.S. voted. That's like the bigger problem to me. And so totally. it's like whether you're wherever you are, like if you believe in democracy, you should support democracy, which starts with getting, encouraging people to vote, not making it confusing, not, you know, not yeah. pulling little tricks so that you, you know, so that you're protecting your seat. Like that is so whack. It, and it's, it's suppressing the voice of the people. Yeah. And it's actually like, that's, and that's what, where an uprising comes from when, when, when we're not represented properly or, or truthfully, 
And I think that's, that's why there's a lot of people speaking out that are in our age group and younger. And I think that's the most important thing. And the fact that a 28 year old woman of color won a seat and, and with like a really surprising upset in, and in on one a really of, progressive platform. Yeah. And then I'm listening yeah. again to the older Democrats like today. And most of them, Oh no, that's oh, just yeah. one district. That doesn't oh, yeah, mean yeah. anything. And it's like, it mean like, listen, like yeah. at least like it's, it's mind boggling to me because it's like, at least for your own sake, you say you want this blue wave, but you're not listening to like, for that to happen. Part of it, like I'm, I'm thinking listen to political, the people. Listen at to least the people. say you're listening to yeah. at least pay lip service, Yeah. but they're not even, pre- it's like, no, that doesn't mean anything. And it's like, okay, well you're playing just it safe obviously hasn't been working. And that's not even playing it. That's, but that's I mean, political like, suicide to me when you're totally. denying. But they, they claim that they're playing it safe is the yeah. issue. Like that, that was the whole debacle with Hillary Clinton was like, okay, this is the candidate we want because she's going to play it safe. And, 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 you know, like, like pay lip service to the donors and do all the stuff that we need to do to like have and enough money. And most of money. us aren't the donors. And we're like, like pay we're lip like, well, service fuck to us. you. We're yeah. the people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so like, it's so frustrating. Like yeah. just, but I do think it's all coming there's to some, a head. And there's some encouraging, there's some encouraging results. I mean, the, like there is evidence based results that we're, you know, that we're seeing that there is, going to be a big change coming soon. Yeah. And I mean, and I think it's our, it's our responsibility as citizens, especially as artists that have audiences to speak our minds. And I think like, again, to go back to comedy one more time is why, why we have this big resurgence in stand up and people, you know, and young people wanting to go out and see live comedy or, or, or watch a Netflix special of someone they've never heard before is because they're dying to hear New um, voices, new, voices. new perspectives. Yep, and 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 that they can connect with because people, you know, it's we're we're getting frustrated that we don't have a voice. And like the whole voting system should be overhauled. Like yep. the so that was like another thing that just yeah, boggles we my need mind. People talking about it. And like so, like after the general election, and everybody was like, oh, we should get rid of the electoral college. But it's like for the DNC to say that you're the same people who didn't have a problem with all the complexities of the primary. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is I was for Bernie. Yes. Um, Did I want him to win? Yes. Uh, Did he win? No, but no with the asterisk because it was such a messy primary process Mm -hmm. um, where a lot of people felt cheated and whether like, you know, I don't know if it was outright. I do think there was outright um, corruption. I do think there was outright rigging. Well, what we've learned is that there's always outright corruption yeah. in the government. Yeah, and there is. But it should be like it shouldn't appear like that. Like it shouldn't appear that way. And um, it's important how like if if the process seemed more fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and then if Hillary won, that's a different thing than the way it happened. And the way it happens matters Mm -hmm. because a lot of the people that were young, like first time voters who were like in the Bernie thing felt discouraged. And I'm sure in some States, a lot of those people maybe sat out the vote because they don't believe, like they don't believe believe in the the process. process. But then, you know, but then the general election, um, she got the popular vote. Trump got the electoral college. 
unfortunately, like political science 101, that's how it, like, that's how that works. Yeah. Like, and that wasn't a mystery to like Mm-mm. Hillary Clinton or that, like, that wasn't, that wasn't a mystery. There was the arrogance that there was no way that she could lose, mm-hmm. which is just, that's like that. Um, the, and that's not list, And that's, that's just like failing to listen to the voices of the people. And yeah. I think that's the biggest problem is, and I think, I think a lot of it is that like there is a ego involved, even, even in, even in, you know, people like you and me, just like, you know, the people that were like, Hillary can't lose. Like there, there is ego involved in that. And there is a failure to look outside yourself. And, and I think uh, one of the, one of the biggest problems in our, in our culture is privilege, blinding people and, and, and creating a, a widespread ignorance. Like if, if, if I don't, if I don't experience this negative stuff that's happening in our country, it doesn't exist or it doesn't affect me. Like the fact that like, you know, there, there are like politicians that didn't like, don't think about feminist feminism as a cause unless they imagine their own, like having their own daughter go through stuff or, you know, this, all this, this stuff, um, with, with immigrant children in cages. And it's like, think about what if your child was in a cage? Like we shouldn't have to think about whether our children are in cages. Yeah. We should be outraged that there are children in In cages. cages. Yeah. Period. And I think like we have like, it feels like a post empathy culture. Yeah. And it, and, and I think like late stage capitalism has a lot to do with it where it's like, you have to just fight for yourself and your independent and your independent wealth and your and because no one else is going to do it for you. So that's the <laughs> the thing I was thinking about a lot. And it's like oh. this like mass mass spread selfishness and blind blindness from other people's experience. So there's a company like I'm gonna probably have them on a later podcast, but they're called Actors Launchpad, mm-hmm. and there's these different um, New York companies that also kind of are networking. You can do these seminars with agents and managers. Um, but it's like they're they're a little bit more expensive. And so what this company did, they started two or three years ago, I believe, um, is instead of charging each individual thing, you pay like a pretty low monthly fee, and then you can sign up for as many classes as you can. Mm-hmm. And then some of them you can like, pay a little bit but basically they created a platform that was doing the same thing that some other people were doing but at a more affordable rate and um from what i understand like they're growing as a business exponentially because they're providing a more they're providing a more affordable option like and and still providing quality Mm -hmm. um connections and stuff and, and so like that type of business model is like, it's called like a, a disruptor, I think. And it's like, that's what I think needs to like shift. It's like, you can still, you know, figure out how to make a living, figure out how to make money for yourself without stealing from people, without mm-hmm. hurting people. Mm-hmm. There's a way to do both. Yeah. And I actually think. I think with like technology and stuff like that, the way that's advancing, um, if you think about more how to benefit other people in your own pursuit, I think that's a much better sound way to build like a business and build 
something for yourself for the future. Mm-hmm. That's the future I believe in. But Same. I think it's the future. Like, I think this, like, what kind of the Republican... And it's like, there are people leaving the Republican Party now, too. But I yeah. also think, like, the Democrats, like, they don't... Like, I feel like you got to criticize and hold all of your elected officials um, accountable because I feel like the Democrats sold out to a lot of corporate interests mm-hmm. like like and sold out protections for people that now, yeah, you have these extreme like Republicans in control right now who are taking full advantage of like the the groundwork that a lot of Democrats were complicit in, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. why like these the principles and the way you do things matter. Like mm-hmm. the ends don't always justify the means. Like and it also the ends like it doesn't end like, you know, you might be saying, oh, no, the ends will justify the means. But it's like there's some there's a more uh, there's later things that happen after those. There's consequences that come later. Yeah. You know, that are grave. If mm-hmm. you do things where you compromise your principles in the first place. You exactly. Know? And um, well, the, the good thing is, I think our generation and the, and the younger ones that are, you know, young adults now are come from that like a lot of us have that mindset of you know the ethics are important we want to be helping people we want to build a better future for 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 kids coming up now we want to show what what that it that empathy is important that community is important and um there are so many artists spreading that message um and you know people people that have wider like you know wider audiences and higher platforms are spreading that message. And although I think like the people in power right now are running this anti-empathy movement and, and you know, you got to take care of yourself and fuck everyone else and their kids and everyone and who gives a shit, whatever. That's the kind of like mindset um, that they're kind of the message they're sending. I think that the, the, the rebuttal and the outcry uh, is, is growing louder and louder and louder. And that's why art continues to be important. And, um, and just constantly having a voice and not, and, and not quieting down is important. Yeah. Because I think there's more of us that have this feeling of, we want to help people and, and, and we, you know, we believe we can take care of ourselves and our families while also helping people Yeah, and while, and while spreading this message of, of, of love and support and that people deserve, you know, a basic, you know, human standard of living and and like that doesn't necessarily mean it's coming out of someone of of your own pocket but maybe if a little bit of it does that's okay too yeah you know and so like you know i think the future is bright i think we have to be patient and um but we also have to like not shut up until we see results yeah Yeah. and i think that's important i was talking to somebody about that recently and it's like it's exhausting sometimes to try to keep up and keep talking about it, but it's like, and keep calling your representatives. It's mm-hmm. like, but well, keep doing you know, it and, tr- and doing it and doing it as best you can. And then trust and that. Like if you need to well. like, if you need to take a breather, take a breather and hopefully self care, other people like will, you know, pick up the slack. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. we all have to keep, that's why we all have to do it. If we, if we all continue to do it, we can all take breaks and we need to take exactly. breaks. Cause there's going to exactly. be a whole team of other people picking yeah. up your slack. Yeah. And that's how it works. Like that's yeah. how it worked in the civil rights movement. Like mm-hmm. not everybody 
could be at every march but like people took care of other people's kids you know that couldn't you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like the community the person who's taking care of other people's kids so their parents can go on the march they're marching too Mm -hmm. they're on the march too you know what i mean yep um yeah (laughs) (laughs) glad we got into politics yeah important yeah (laughs) absolutely um do you have any final thoughts you want to talk about um, not really. I mean, a lot of, a, a lot of where I come from and, 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 you know, my goals in the future and where I'm at right now and just like all, all the things in my life have built up to, to, to where I am and where I'm going. It, it just has to do with just like respecting people, respecting work, um, and having pride in what you do and just like using your position, whatever it is to help other people and send out a, a, a stronger message. And I think, you know, that's, I, I'm, I'm proud that I'm a bartender. Some people might not be, but that's fine. I think that we all have our place in society that helps other people. And all you have to do is like maintain that kind of. It's a great networking tool. Also, yeah. by oh, the way. Absolutely. one of the best ones, one of the best ones for <laughs> sure. But you know, and you, and you get to celebrate people's best, best times in their lives and you get to connect with people and you get to be there for people when they're having a hard time. It's a good way to exercise empathy and, and, and also like, you know, it's a good way to kind of support your other pursuits and comedy for me is like, you know, talking about politics, talking about this, this particular special time in our culture. I think it's really important to continue to push the truth to the forefront and, you know, send out a message to everybody, you know, whether it's a tweet or whether it's a live performance or whether it's on a podcast and, you know, to use where you're at to send out that message that like, Hey, we're all human. We're all here for each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where's the best place for people to like find you, follow you, stuff like that. Um, so, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Alyssa may not. A-L-I-S-S-A-M-A-Y-N-O-T. Um, I mostly uh, share cat photos and um, food photos and um, photos of all my comedy shows and some videos on Instagram and Twitter is all jokes. Um, and you can find me at Precious Metal pretty much any day of the week. Come check out my new cocktails. I'm always pushing out new stuff. Um, and then the first Friday of every month, At Precious Metal, I run my comedy show, Midriff Comedy, at 8.30 p.m. It's 100% free. You're going to see some comics that you've seen on Comedy Central, HBO, Netflix. I mean, these New York comics are hungry to do spots, even if we can't pay them. So I give them a drink ticket, and they come out and try new stuff. You might see somebody famous come on out. It's free. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking with me. This is long overdue, but right on time. Hell yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Alec. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Alyssa May Atkinson. If you are in the New York area, go to Precious Metal tomorrow night. That's tomorrow being uh, July 6th. Uh, That's a Friday, 8.30 p.m. at Precious Metal for Midriff Comedy. Uh, You'll find the links to that and Alyssa's Instagram in the show notes. You can find all the show notes on BushwickVarietyShow.com. This episode and all episodes are recorded in the Rack Shack, a 
all-inclusive lingerie boutique in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Laura's here next to me. Um, she hopes you had a good uh, holiday week and enjoyed smooth holiday um, experiences. We've had an interesting one so far. Um, anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. Thanks again, Alyssa, and I'll see you guys, or I'll be talking to you soon and hope to see you. Talk to you later. Peace.